What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ron again. Joining me as always, Chris Nambu, to talk some NBA basketball. Lots happened. We've uh, unfortunately we've both uh, both had issues where we haven't been able to record. So a lot has happened since the last time uh, the last time we talked. But uh, we're going to get into all of that and more. Just before we get started, I want to thank everyone for making Coast to Coast your first listen for NBA coverage. Remember, if you like what you're hearing. Make sure to like, subscribe. Leave a review. Let us know what you think. You want to hear anything discussed? We will absolutely oblige. But getting right into it, Chris. Start off a few things before we get into the the conference semifinals. We're gonna start on a few kind of little points. Something we saw: the Lakers closing out the Grizzlies. That forty point win was just that was crazy. That was the that was the Grizzlies going down with a whimper. Yeah, the Lakers looked good, but that was a. Uh, a disappointing uh, way to go down for the for the Grizzlies, known as such a a hard fought team that never never gives up. It it felt like the complete opposite in that in that final game. Yeah, I I think you know I, I'd love to sit here and and do a whole deep dive into how that all happened, but it's it's pretty simple. Um, I mean the the Grizzlies didn't have the the shot creation, they didn't have enough shooting. Jaw was injured. They had other injuries, important injuries, and. You know, they got beat inside. They got beat on the glass in that game. And Lakers showed that they have the pedigree. They have the talent. They have the depth. They really have, you know, the versatility to beat anybody, I mean, including themselves, depending on the night. But, I mean, it's just plain and simple. Lakers team is ready. Grizzlies have made their comments about being ready to make a big move this this offseason. But, you know, I think the Grizzlies have always outplayed their their talent and their collectivism has always led to, better wins than the individual talent themselves. But um, unfortunately, just with the health, but at the end of the season, you know, just lucky that Ja wasn't too injured, but, you know, he clearly wasn't fully, wasn't able to, <laughs> I mean, you can't even say that, that he wasn't fully out there. I mean, he was still scoring, but collectively as a unit, they were just outmatching this. And that was surprising to see for me. I, I didn't think it would go down the way that it did at all. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a shock because I, 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 I couldn't quite say uh, stay up for the entire game, but I, I, I set an alarm. I was up at five a.m. for the, for the second half. I see the the the, uh, the Lakers are winning comfortably. I was like surprised. I was thinking this is going to be a tight. I thought this is going to be a real tight battle that the Lakers Lakers just might edge with the the home the home court advantage, but they just went the complete opposite way and they just absolutely blitzed them without anyone doing anything really out, out of character. D'Lo obviously had a. Had a really uh, good impact on the game. Hit a lot of, of important threes, but on the whole, it was just a. It was kind of an anomaly, and obviously they've taken a, a step out of that. That they've made a big decision that Dylan Brooks. Uh, they've made come out and said he is not returning to the team under any circumstance. That he's going to be a free agent this year. Grizzlies apparently are done. All his talk, all his his attitude as a whole. Obviously, it's just having a very detrimental impact on this team as a whole, not like we've seen with some other guys who talk as much smack as him, who kind of act in a similar way, can obviously still have an, a positive impact on their own team. Clearly, Brooks is going the other way. If this is the way the Grizzlies are uh, are formatting this thing, you don't really hear that, that there's no chance that this guy is coming back. That's kind of crazy. The way that it's worded is, is interesting and seems purposeful. Um, obviously, you know, there, there could be a, a positive way to spin it that it's a just being professional and being straight up that they need to change the roster. Um, but, you know, the, the way that it was worded, clearly it was personal. I mean, they, they, they couldn't have been more clear that they want to move on from him. And that that's not something you typically see. I mean, you, you typically even you don't show your hand and you I mean, now everybody knows for and that's not a big deal. Really, I mean, it's Dylan Brooks. You know, it's, this isn't a major star that you're moving on from. But, you know, GMs will keep things close to their chest. You don't know what they're going to do. You know, what, what they're going to do with the salary, et cetera. So it was clearly they wanted to separate themselves from his actions and who he's been. But I don't know, man. They've stood – the team has stood by him. The players have stood by him. You know, coaching staff has not spoken out against him. There's not been leaks and no leaks at all throughout the season of grumblings against him and his shot selection whatsoever. I mean, every, every basketball analyst will break down his terrible shot selection, but to see it break down like that, that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, he seemed like, he seemed like their guy. They lived with 
his shots. They lived with who he was as a person and maybe they weren't okay with it this whole time. Seems new to me. Yeah, it definitely felt like he was he was kind of the the the, the dog, kind of heart and soul of, of this team and, and he was just good to he was always having that positive impact. But it obviously maybe it's just the the front office. Maybe maybe it's the team as a whole just doing it doing it going about it quietly. But uh seems that all, the relationship is completely broken down and they've kind of sent out a little warning shot to anyone who might consider bringing in Dylan Brooks. So it's gonna be interesting to see how his future plays out in free agency this summer. But uh, moving on from that series, I guess we've got to talk the big one. The Our Sacramento Kings, they, could, they couldn't they could get it done there. Yeah. They went down in seven games, and unfortunately they went down with a whimper as well and got dominated by the greatness of Steph Curry. Yeah, I, and I want to jump to that. And I, what I want to do for both these teams, though, first, if you don't mind, I want to know from you, what do you think the number one thing is, or at least a big thing is that the Grizzlies lacked that they should have, that they should hope to have next season based on how they perform in the playoffs? The Grizzlies? You're talking to the Kings. Yeah, the Grizzlies. And then Grizzlies. obviously look to the Kings. I mean, you want to say rebounding, but you know, obviously they got Clark and Stephen Adams to hopefully come uh, return from injury. So I guess it's another, it's another shot creator, another another shooter that's kind of a, a big thing that they need to add they need someone possibly of the ilk of dylan brooks who makes good shots and creates good shots for others <laughs> that's that's kind of a, what they a dylan need. brooks that hits shots is basically kobe bryant um, with, <laughs> with his shot selection um no i i'd agree with that i'd uh and i think the great glaring thing for me about them is the fact that i they are a great offensive rebounding team for sure but that's because of Steven Adams. It's so clear. When Steven Adams is not there, I mean, more than just his rebounding, but, I mean, the fact that he demands so much attention on the board, so he's boxing out guys. Guys are trying to make sure he's not getting rebounded. It just gives so many more little opportunities for, for their high-energy players to sneak in there and get bored. And he, beyond how many, the numbers that actually show how many boards he gets, I think he's such a massive influence there. And Brandon Clark, for sure, on the boards, how much energy he brings. I mean, that maybe more depth there. Yeah, the, the shooting, I, I absolutely agree with that. There, there just seemed to be one guy short. Tyus Jones, I think, is – I mean, he he is really hot when he gets hot from three. But, I mean, you saw when he had to demand being a shooter, when he had to create his own shot, um, I mean, he shot 16% from three in the playoffs. That's uncharacteristic for him, and it's because he had – to shoot a lot of threes off the dribble. He had a lot more attention on him. And, you know, you can't just have Desmond Bain out there. And I think he really, this is his worst time shooting in the in the playoffs. And his other playoff games, he was shooting well over 45%. He had the hottest streak in the playoffs. But, but one extra guy, maybe more minutes for Luke Kennard, maybe just getting another guy. But I, I think this summer they'll definitely be busy with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think they they know that there's adjustments to be made. I mean, they're in it. They're still in a strong position. There's no need to to really panic or make any drastic decisions. But they have to be smart and they have to they have to make a I'd say a winning a winning move this uh this off season. They got they got they got to work hard and get and get yeah. and get a get the right deal in place. Yeah, but yeah, let's go. Let's say game seven, um, Curry setting records, and I thought it was really funny the broadcast really focused in on uh which I, I think that was the right message was the right topic to discuss you know the other guys at the beginning of the game that it's usually the other guys that have to do the work because of especially we know the greatness of Steph Curry he's due for a massive game anytime he steps on the floor so they expected that he wouldn't be the guy maybe it'd be somebody else maybe it'd be a clay game but, but what did you think of the Kings defense on Curry in game seven because I I have some thoughts about it, and I thought that they let a winnable game slip away. Yeah, it just it just felt like one too many. I think they just the the pedigree or the history of this Warriors team. It felt like it it was in the it was in the minds of these Kings players. That's what it was like watching mm. it. the The impact that uh, that Davion Mitchell was having early in the series seemed to have worn off. He didn't even play that many minutes in that in that in, in Game Seven. 
and they just didn't really have an answer then after that and it just became it just became too easy they didn't put enough pressure on curry they didn't try and get him out of his groove enough they kind of allowed him to to find his spots to get in his moments still obviously very tough to to stop Seth Curry at all. It doesn't matter if he had five guys guarding him, he'd probably still put up 20 points. But in the moment, they uh, they just didn't have enough. They they didn't put up the fight enough. They could they could have done more to, to stop him. Yeah, and I, I think specifically, you know, you made a good point with Mitchell. I, Mitchell was the best defender on Curry. And I think, you know, you think back to matchups Curry has had, um, and I, I can't remember a more inspired performance by Davion Mitchell anytime he stepped on the floor. And I mean, Curry had one of the best series I've seen from him in a while. Um, but he was uncomfortable whenever Mitchell was on him. He was definitely uncomfortable. The only times Curry was looking comfortable on a shot was when, you know, I mean, honestly, just Mitchell sometimes, even though he can navigate a screen, sometimes if it's loony, if it's green, like they're just too big and he's just not he doesn't have the leg to get around him and contest the shot when he's going over the screen. That's like the only time when Mitchell was uh, guarding him that Curry was uh, comfortable. But I understood why you wanted to give Terrence Davis the the minutes and the run. I mean, he delivered. I mean, he was not scared to shoot, shot the ball pretty well, and he really forced the, the Warriors to stretch out the floor. But his defense, he could not keep up with Steph Curry. He could not keep up with Steph Curry. And what just destroyed the Kings was the pen, dribble penetration. I mean, he, he could not stay in front of him. And then on top of that, when they were trapping, I, I felt like the traps were pretty soft. They weren't making him pick up his dribble. And he could really move the ball, and the Warriors could get into the flow. And as soon as Draymond gets the ball on a on a four-on-three in the middle of the floor, like, they're going to score every time. I mean, that's that's one classic Warriors basketball. And, you know, that – that leads me to, I don't know, some questions about what the Warriors need to do, or the the Kings, rather, what they need to do to take it to the next level. Because I think just zooming out, I mean, the fact that it comes down to we're talking about, you know, just defense in one game, like the Kings did a great job. I mean, we got we to really tip our cap. But these guys are all super young. What is that the, the oldest starter? I mean, Harrison Barnes, but then the, the next one up is Sabonis at 26 years old. Everyone else is younger than that. Like these guys are young. This team was very impressive they really went toe-to-toe with the champs and like i i totally agree with what you said i don't know where fox was and i wonder if that was a product of what you're saying is that you know it's you're watching the greatness of steph curry you're, you're feeling the pressure of a game seven even though he's the, the inaugural winner of the clutch player of the year award it felt like i don't know man it felt like the moment was too big for him because he still had a burst at times maybe he wasn't fully healthy that, that could be it but i felt that he a big fox game was required to to compete here in game seven which is you know obvious but i don't know what what do you what do you think how how far do you think they were was this just a a fluky game seven they made it there and the warriors are going to win it anyway i I felt like it could have gone either way no i I think uh, going into the game after that obviously especially after that game six the way they the way they went in uh over to, to san francisco and just dominated i i definitely thought that the the matchup could have gone either way but it was just slowly little things started to happen as you watch the game fox was struggling from an early early period sabonis was being left open and he wasn't hitting enough shots i don't think he had a made field goal in the second half he had a strong start he's a strong first half he had 16 points and then he doesn't have a made field goal in the second half when that's happening and you're when he's your second star and that's that's what he's putting up and and your lead guy Maybe he's not fully healthy. Maybe that was the problem, but he was struggling. He was missing free throws. He was missing good looks that you'd be confident and you know you have to make when you're playing in a game seven. But it also, just on the whole, I think even maybe even Mike Brown got a little bit frazzled because they were forcing three-point shots for periods where they didn't have to do it. They were taking a lot of early threes. And it's not like they were confident of getting long rebounds or anything like that because the, the, the Warriors are fairly comfortable on the board. So they just kind of made some bad decisions and you hope that they're going to learn from it. Maybe there's some adjustments to be made. Maybe there's some, can they get it? 
where can they upgrade in, in certain areas? Can Davion Mitchell be more impactful as a whole so he's ready to play bigger minutes come come next year? It's going to be little things. I don't think there's any need to panic. I think the Kings have done what they needed to do this year. They've shown that they are a, a team capable of doing the amazing and they've gotten back in the playoffs. That's step one on this process and hopefully they continue on now uh, from f- over the next five, six years. Yeah, and they showed they showed so many they showed different ways of winning basketball. They showed they can play defense for sure when it comes to a playoff series. That's huge. They showed that they can't they don't just have to rely on the DHO with Sabonis and they could adjust to, you know, the the junk defense that they were putting out there just letting <laughs> letting Sabonis just shoot wide open uh, mid-rangers and letting him just just defending everybody else. They took that away, and the Kings were able to adjust. And they took the game. They took it to Game Seven. I didn't expect, with given how much they struggled offensively, if you're going to tell me that they're going to shoot as poorly as they did, that Kevin Herter was just going to be a shell of himself, I, I thought that I would assume the Warriors won in five. But to go to Game Seven, they showed a lot. They showed a lot else, and specifically, I, I just want to just close on the Kings by talking about Keegan Murray, mm-hmm. talking about Malik Monk. Yeah. Two guys that we know they have talent. Malik Monk is, we have to remember, he's still a blue chip prospect. So, if I mean, if you if you believe in the theory that if you have talent, maybe it's just uncovered in the right system. I think if Malik Monk has found himself here and he has really found where he can flourish, that maybe he still can reclaim some of that lottery level talent that he was lauded for. I mean, we saw it up and down the court. I mean, his athleticism his shot making and just his motor i mean his motor was massive when he stepped on the court and the ball went in his hands just like it shifted the game and keegan murray too like i i was really really impressed with two things with him the shooting is obvious like we know that but his ability to also put the ball on the floor run him a few pick and rolls and then his touch with the floater is, you know, he's not afraid to get to the rim either. He's not super athletic. He's not going to dunk over anyone, but, you know, he has the, he has the Euro. He has the touch to get under the rim. And I think also defense, he did not do a bad job on Curry. He should not have been the primary defender for him for as many uh, touches as he did, but he did a solid job. I think this guy is going to be, he's a starter level player on a contending team. Absolutely. I mean, that they found that out pretty early on. That's that's not easy to find in this league. Yeah, no, he he's improved. Uh, he was kind of had a quiet start, but as the season's progressed, uh, moving towards the end of the year and into the postseason, he only got better, and that's just a um, that's a great sign for for a rookie player as they get as the moment gets bigger, they they they're growing more into themselves, and that's a that's a huge huge positive sign for for the Sacramento Kings, and and that's why they have they they have great confidence. They've They've done what they needed to do. Obviously, it's disappointing. They won't be lighting the beam uh, for, for after that game seven, yeah. but there's a lot of positives this season. It's way more positives than negatives. They got back in the playoffs, and the future is bright for this Kings team regardless. But uh, on the Curry performance, just uh, just just greatness, just out- outrageous greatness from Steph Curry. He's, he's, he's just next level. What, what he can do with the ball and the way he can just destroy teams single-handedly, it, it, it's almost forgotten about sometimes, despite the fact that he's the leader, the, the, the reigning finals, uh, finals MVP and everything. You just forget how easily he can just destroy teams. It's, you know, he's known for the shooting, but I think people should pay attention to his ability to bend the defense. When he gets one-on-one, when you put him in a high pick and roll and he gets downhill, when, I mean, just, just everything, like I, everything he does is just un, unbelievable to a defense like this. Like the Kings could only last so long, but I mean, his movement off the ball, his ability to shoot in anyone's face. And the second that you bring people to, you bring the, you bring the help too far up. I mean, they, they started in the drop. Curry's going to kill that. Started going over the screen. Curry gets downhill. So they bring up the drop, then Curry gets in the paint. Once Curry gets in the paint, it's over. And okay, you defend him, get him back in the paint. He, okay, he relocates, and then he gets an open shot. Like, it's it's impossible to defend him like this, and that's why you need um, – n- another thing I want to say about the Kings is you need Davion Mitchell out there 
you're going to face the Warriors again in the playoffs. You need him to really, really work on his shot. His shot at times was not bad, but it, he's not consistent enough where he's a factor offensively. Like the other team needs a Curry stop. Um, and we're going to talk about the Lakers on, in a minute here. And that that's going to be a big deal. Um, I also want to talk about Looney again. We talked about him last year too. This guy, I think he's getting enough recognition now. People like know once it's playoff time that they know the name Looney. That's not, that's not a new name for people. Like he took over this game. And it's the second time he's done it this series. Um, he just made in the second half, Sabonis could not get a board. Mm-hmm. One of the best rebounders in the league, Sabonis, like could not get a board. And a lot of that did have to do with the penetration Curry was getting and the amount of attention he was getting. Um, so that's synergized there. But Looney just really not only masterful, um, you know, operating with the ball in his hands at the high posts, the passing he did, but the defense inside against Sabonis, making Sabonis frustrated, forcing Sabonis to be very physical. Like if Sabonis is going to score, he'd have to put a shoulder down. He'd have to really work for it. Or he's going to have to hit a mid-ranger, which he's not comfortable with. Like Sabonis was not comfortable this whole series because of him, and he, he got beat on the boards. Um, what about Wiggins? What do you think of Wiggins' performance? That I mean, he he's not being talked about a lot right now, but if you don't get those performances from Wiggins, I I don't think the the Warriors win this series. He outside of Curry, he was the most consistent scorer. Yeah, I mean, obviously he had his struggles there in uh, in in Game Seven. Obviously, obviously he was the second highest scorer. But I think he only had like sixteen and a pretty inefficient one. I think he missed missed four free throws as well. Both teams had a lot of struggles from free throws in Game Seven, but. On the whole, he's just gonna quietly go about his business and get the job done. It's exactly what he did last year as well. Obviously, he was a bit more in your face last year. We kind of almost forgot about him with that spell he had out towards the end of the season. But he's back now, and he's a key, key member of this team because it can't always just be Clay being the number two to to Steph. Wiggins has to be able to step up in those moments as well, and that's the kind of the the little bit of difference that they didn't have. Uh, since since KD went down, it's that little bit of difference that they they change with, and Wiggins is, is stepping up for to the plate. Maybe he isn't the lead superstar of a team going for a title. That doesn't matter. He has a really important role on a team that's always going to be a competitor, and that's something that's not to be balked at at all. Yeah, he's a floor raiser. He's an absolute floor raiser. I mean, he 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 had what five? Was it five blocks in game one? But he he his presence as as a defender. I mean, what he can do defensively is not talked about enough. I mean, you, you put him on the floor, he'll switch on the bigs, he'll switch on the guards, he'll be a, a weak side rim protector, he'll really get aggressive in the passing lanes. Is that is averaging a steal a game in the playoffs right now? But I mean, it's it's not it's not something that you notice on the box sheet. But, I mean, he uses his length. I mean, he makes it difficult for everybody out there, and he's going to be so important. He was important against the Celtics uh, last year in, in the championship, but he's going to be so important uh, for the rest of his playoff run. And you can have a bad clay game. You can have a bad pool game because I think you know you're going to get some consistency out of Wiggins out. And I don't think I could say that at the beginning of last season, the end of the season before that. I, I think this is it's great to see him be that kind of guy where you feel pretty confident that he's going to be consistent. You know that he's going to be out there, and when the flow of the game is not is not working out for the Warriors, he's going to attack a closeout. You can post him up. You can get his own shot, get to the rim. Like he's, he's really found such a perfect role here in the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, let, let's, let's look ahead then. Let's look at the Warriors' next matchup in the West. It's mm. against the Lakers. Another Steph versus uh, LeBron matchup. The first time we're going to see it in the playoffs that it won't be the mm-hmm. NBA Finals. It's going to be a very, very interesting battle. I-, I think the Warriors are the favorites, especially because I think they're going to start playing better now. They're getting into that flow. But you look at it and you think, wait, it's going to be some crucial areas here. I mean, with the Lakers, you're thinking, Anthony Davis has to dominate Looney on the boards. He has to sustain the elite de- level defense that he ha- was playing against the Grizzlies. And he probably has to be the the highest scorer for this Lakers team as well. And then you also look, you think LeBron's got to score a little bit better. He's gonna have to he's gonna if he's gonna 
continue to shoot the three-point shot. He's going to have to shoot a much better clip. And he's going to have to remain with that consistent rebounding. If AD is going to take down Looney, LeBron's got to out-rebound the other, the other four guys on the floor for this uh, for this Warriors team. And then you think, can D'Lo get a bit more efficient? He was getting better as the season gone on, can, or as the, the series with Gri- the Grizzlies went on. Can Reeves and Rui keep doing their thing? How's Vanderbilt going to go, go uh, on Steph? I assume that's the way they're going to do it. They had him on, on Jazz. I assume they're going to have him on... Uh, on Steph Curry as well. This is so many interesting aspects to this matchup. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it, how it ends up playing out. Yeah, the the way that they defend Curry is going to be the that's going to be the hard thing. That's really the really hard thing. I I don't know if you want to throw Vanderbilt on him immediately, but I, I think what what we've seen Darvin him do is be creative defensively in matchups. He's going to throw different looks at him. Maybe he'll throw Vanderbilt at him. Maybe he'll throw, you know, a little bit of. Uh, I think Dennis Schroeder, in terms of guards, he probably is going to be the best defender on Curry, and that's mm-hmm. honestly you're going to have to live with some some big performances from Steph Curry. I mean, we saw how comfortable he could get when he's not having an elite defender on him, and he's in an absolute groove right now. I mean, he's in a good shooting groove. He's feeling good after that game seven, and we know when Steph Curry gets hot, it's going to be hard for him to cool down. So I think though that they're going to encounter a much, much better team in terms of uh, rebounding. This team rebounds way better than the Kings, and this team plays much better defense than the Kings. Um, specifically for for Steph, maybe not, but they're not going to have easy runs to the rim. I mean, you, you got Jared Vanderbilt hanging out in the back. You got Anthony Davis on the weak side. I mean, you're not going to get those easy layups that Looney got, and also. Looney is going to play a very different game here. And this is really going to be fascinating to see how this, uh, this Looney legacy continues because we saw Looney guard guys like Jason Tatum last year. And we're going to see Looney guard Anthony Davis. And he's not going to be able to play this, you know, sag off defense against AD that he played against Sabonis. So that, that's definitely going to change a lot. I think the Lakers are going to have a much easier time scoring inside and we'll see how the Warriors adjust to that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting battle on it. It's going to be something that it's going to be similar to what they did in Memphis. Obviously, they knew that the Grizzlies had the weaknesses when it came to obviously no Adams, no no Brandon Clark, but they're going to go in and just say, we just have to win one game. One of the, we just have to steal one game, and then all we have to do is hold down our our home fort, and we win this series. They're going to be thinking that exact same way. Yeah, if it's probably going to be a little bit harder. The the cauldron that is uh the Warriors home floor, the the experiences Warriors team have. They're the defending champions for a reason. I think they're gonna play better in this series than they did against the Kings. But I think the Lakers are gonna give them more to worry about than than people think. It's just a question of of AD's consistency. He's not gonna be able to have his sixteen, his fifteen, sixteen point nights, I don't think, in, in this series if the Lakers are gonna win it. Yeah. So for you, is that the key to the series for the Lakers? Is Anthony Davis? Yeah, I think he's re- he's going to be really important. I yeah. think the way the way Looney can dominate the boards and not just defensively but offensively. He, I mean, what did the was it thirteen offensive rebounds the Warriors had in the, in the third quarter of uh, Game Seven? I mean, and Looney was uh, a, four was, of four of them were. I think four of them were in one possession. Yeah, and like I think Looney was the key the key man in all, in all that. AD cannot let that happen. And he has to, he was playing, he's playing elite defensively, but he has to be able to, to keep doing it on both ends. He can't, he can't take any, uh, any off nights in this series. I, I, I don't think I've said that before and, and it's still worked out for the, for the Lakers. So the most important thing for AD is the, is the re- dominating rebounding and remaining elite defensively. But if he can, switch it up and have that two-way game which he is more than more than capable of doing then the lakers become the favorites in this series yeah what are you most worried about with the lakers like what what do you think is going to be a big hole in their game plan potentially any player you you think consistency can can Rui and reeves continue to to Mm. deliver the way they have can delo can can he do it more consistently obviously he he had big shots in every game for the most part, but it was very inefficiently. 
And then on the whole, the three point shot could hurt them. It's always gonna it's always gonna be a problem when you're playing the Warriors, how hot they can get. I'm not so sure the Lakers can get as hot as them, but at the same time, I know they can play damn good defense to to make sure they can do all they can for the Warriors to not get hot. But I just think it's the it's the role, guys. It's what sort of level LeBron, we it's it we have seen him be tired in situations. We have seen him having to defer when the Warriors might play to that, they might make him come and beat them. And then you'll see what level he, he he's still at at this stage of a season. Yeah. And I think specifically with those two guys, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, They've been just huge, huge for them. Uh, Rui averaging 14.5 points per game and Reeves averaging 16.5 points per game, five rebounds per game and five assists. I mean, that you can't, understate just how important those two guys are right now for their success in the playoffs. And I don't, I know that Austin Reeves has a chance to survive on the perimeter with all the, the screening and the movement and the actions that the Warriors are going to do to get Curry and Thompson open looks. And they're going to hunt Reeves. They're going to hunt him all game long. I think his screen navigation is okay enough for him to survive, but Rui, I am super worried about him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, notoriously not been great at getting through screens and just his perimeter defense is a work in progress and that he's been better it's been okay but i think his matchups in against memphis were a little bit more tailored to who he is as a player you know he's a strong guy you're not going to knock him over you know a lot of the the players and the grizzlies that like to finish through guys that like to back them down and really use strength like that works for Rui, but terms of navigating all these screens if he's getting switched on if he's having to deal with that we'll see i mean this that would be a real big statement from Rui in this statement series that he's had to be a really meaningful player for this team but i think it will be tough to keep him out there at certain times so then you really got to ask yourself where their offense is coming from um off the bench so that that's my two worries but i i agree if ad if ad's the guy of the series if he's going to win in the paint that's the biggest weakness that the Warriors have. If he if he on game one just like punches Looney in the face, and not literally, we've seen enough of this <laughs> stuff already. I, I don't want to jinx anything, but if he just really gets in there, makes a statement game, you know, wins inside the paint and is hitting his mid-range jumper, that's going to open up so much of the Lakers offense. And that's going to be the biggest thing for me. Want to make a prediction? Lakers in seven. I think AD can do it. I think AD can do it. I think the the Lakers are going to have a tough time with their offense because I don't know how many minutes you're going to be able to give to a guy like Rui, a guy who got hot, a guy like Reeves who has been really tremendous. I think it'll be tough to to keep those guys out there. And D'Lo as well. Um, how many minutes are you going to give to him if he's getting absolutely destroyed out there? Um, it'll be It'll come down, I think, to, to him making the right rotations to survive defensively but i think their defense will be able to handle it better than the kings did yeah i think i agree i'm gonna believe in ad too and i think the lakers can do it can do it in six games but they're six games okay moving on to a a a series that we've already seen uh two games in the the nuggets and the suns the nuggets tuna up number one seed looking like a number one seed right now playing against the team that uh People, while people had their question marks, they're also definitely very fearful of, but the Nuggets have looked really good in the first two games here. Yeah, and I'll put it very simply. Game one was vintage Nuggets. The ball movement, the just the absolute bravado from Jamal Murray. The depth, the strength that you saw from Aaron Gordon was on full display. The, the depth that they have from Braun and Brown running up and down the floor. I mean, they just really outpaced the hell out of the Suns. And then, obviously, there's the intelligence that you have with Jokic with the ball in his hands. I mean, he was able to quarterback all game, he was able to play a comfortable game, and everyone was able to get out in the open court. Jamal Murray was able to eat. In game two, they're like, okay, we're going to force Jokic to play. He's got to score on us. And I, I think that you saw those two versions of the Nuggets where you force Jokic to be MVP and he turns it on, puts in a masterful performance in a really tight rock fight type of game. And for the Nuggets to respond like that in game two, I think that bodes pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it was really impressive. And if this was an area that I questioned before the playoffs again. And Murray looked like Bubble Murray in that in that game one. Not just the scoring, mm. but his passing. Some of his passing was absolutely yeah. superb. It was really, really good to watch. And then Jokic just absolutely dominates. Aiton literally has zero answer for what uh, Nikola Jokic can do. Not not many people do, but Aiton is really getting was absolutely dominated by the Joker there in game two, and he he just completely took over. The only worry I have now is that game two with Murray only getting 10 points. MPJ only has five points. If any of those three are having nights like that in Phoenix, I think it could very easily be 2-2 when we get back to Denver. Well, that my question, though, is like, if do you think game two is sustainable for the Nuggets? I, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I no, would answer is, yes yeah, to that. Yeah, that's because fair. I I believe in their defense this year. It's and I, I think it's fascinating to look back on the team that they were last year. Obviously, the health was not there, not at all. Um, and the depth that they added is there, and just those improvements with health and the depth that they added. Their defense is fantastic. Their their bench is deep. They have an identity. They know how they want to play, and maybe not everyone is going to be on, but you have the the ultimate floor raiser in Jokic and he's going to get his and he was aggressive against I think poor defense in Aiton. I mean Aiton has not made him feel uncomfortable at all. He's been able to get to his spots and we'll we'll see. I mean they I think that this will still go deep. I, I be wouldn't be surprised if if the Suns do win two games at home because I think their talent is that good. But I think the biggest question right now is if CP three misses a game, mm-hmm. are they winning? Are they winning? Without CP3. I mean, the the talent is still there, but I guess we'll see just how important his role still is with this team. Obviously, we've seen it uh, in previous series for the Suns when CP3 is not at 100% or he hasn't played. It's had a big impact. They've made the addition of Kevin Durant. Devin Booker is playing the best basketball possibly we've ever seen from him at this moment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you think that that impact might not be as big as it would have been maybe this time last year, but he's still such an important, he's the place setter. He still makes such key shots for this team. And that's where you have the, the, the doubt is there if he's going to miss the game, but you think the way that they added the talent, they added because they believe that's the difference maker. So you think in a one-off game, you think on their home floor, I think Devin Booker and KD should be able to hold down the fourth for this team. Yeah, I believe in that. And I think what needs to show up too, though, like they can't, they're going to get doubled for, forever until until the other guys can prove that they can put the ball in the basket. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking directly at <laughs> and how many times have people probably said this. I'm looking at Landry Shamit and specifically and Damian Lee. Like one game, if CP3 needs one game, can you guys just come on the floor, space it out, and hit open shots? Because right now, collectively, I have is shooting 25% from three. Damian Lee is shooting 23% from three. And you need, you absolutely need those two shooters to get hot because you need some way to take the pressure off of Booker, pressure off of Durant. They can't be facing tough shots all game. And they're fantastic. It makes for great basketball for us. I mean, we, we love to see the difficult shots they're taking, but that's just, I mean, that's just not sustainable. Like, I, I love Devin Booker, but it, he's not. He can't. He can't do this on his own like that. I mean, maybe he can. He's dude shooting forty six percent on from three. These are a lot of. These are all like mostly contested shots, largely contested. Fifty seven percent from the floor overall. Mm. And I, I I haven't looked at the tracking data, but I'm, I'm willing to bet the. I mean, all of these shots are are off the dribble, fade away, spinning away floaters like these are all really tough shots and this run has to continue but someone else has got to do something you think there's anything to be said for seeing a bit more of kevin durant guarding nikola Jokic, or do you think that aiden is just too incapable of guarding anyone smaller so it's just probably safer to to keep him on on Jokic? Mm. i i katie wouldn't survive in the in the poster, I, I think they're 
maybe you double with Durant. I mean, that, I'm just riffing here. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but like the the tough thing that the tough thing with doubling Jokic is that he knows when it's coming. So he's he's one of the the most instinctive passers out of a double ever. But when you have a guy like Durant and you put two seven footers in a double team, that's not something you can always do. So I don't know. Maybe that's something you you start to see more. It's that you bring pressure from Kevin Durant depending on the matchup you put him with. But um, I, I think the the thing the Suns don't want to do is allow Jokic to quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think I think the Suns will continue to to be like, okay, you drop forty, right? Do it again. I think they're going to force him to do it again and continue that game plan because they'd rather have him be uncomfortable being the primary scorer than having him be comfortable and having Jamal Murray out there screaming in the middle of the the court, having another vintage, vintage Murray game. But that's, it's, it's worrisome for me though, that you mentioned him earlier on that, you know, Aiton had some great games against him in the past. Um, And he's been pretty, pretty muted. He's going to need to make, I just called those guards out for their shooting, but he's going to need to make an impact and put some pressure on Jokic on the other end too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's pressure there. There's a lot of pressure on this Suns team. But I, I, I would not be surprised if uh, by the end of this week we're talking about it going back to to Denver and we have a, a level series. But at the same time, if this Denver team is able to continue to play their offensive game the way they've been playing, I don't know if there's anyone that's going to stop them. They've, they've looked really really impressive and it's great to see we're finally seeing this team kind of come come in full circle and and it looks like they are ready and that there's no one that's better than them at this moment yeah what do you think if you had a if you had to guess if they have if they lose cp3 for one game what's your uh what's your prediction i i i believe i i think kd and and booker will be able to will hold down the fort i think they'll while they'll still probably be in the same situations hitting those tough shots, I think they'll be able to do enough. And I think it'd be interesting to see them actually playing together without CP3. Maybe they'll there might be something there that it, it actually works out a, li- a little bit better. And I, I, I still believe that even without CP3, even if it's, hopefully it's only for a game, but I think even without CP3, I believe in this, this Suns team. They're the team, you like I said before, they're the worst team that have chasing you. And they're chasing this Nuggets team now, and then they'll have that bit between the teeth heading back home. Mm. Nuggets and six. All right, all right. Nuggets and six. I think they're losing next game. CP three. If he's out, I'm saying Nuggets. Nuggets and six. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair shout. I think uh, uh, I, I I like that. I think I'll go Nuggets and six too. But I think I could see them. I I could still see that they're going two two, and then the Nuggets just take 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 back over. But uh. Moving, moving out, moving out east. Just some big news breaking as we are recording this podcast that Jimmy Butler is out for game two. Ooh, not surprising. The 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 yeah. turn of that ankle looked absolutely horrible. Hopefully, it's not as serious as it looked, but it 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 did, it did not uh, did not look great for for Jimmy. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you're pulling all the prayers that he comes back fully, I, yeah. fully healthy. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I I can't say I'm I'm, I'm too <laughs> disappointed, but I uh, I uh, you never like to see it. you never like to see it. as a basketball fan you don't want to see the guy go down like that, especially a guy who's been playing as well as he has. But even after that injury, the the Heat still went on, won that won that game one. They stole the game. They did what they needed to do. Regardless, now they get back to to Miami, even if it's one one, and it absolutely has to be. This is a make or break game for the Knicks tonight, especially it was before, even if Jimmy Butler was healthy. It absolutely is now that Jimmy Butler's out. The Knicks have got to have got to take advantage of that. But in that in that first game, Knicks obviously started hot. They had that crowd behind them. They were looking, they were looking really good. They were, they were looking like they were up for the moment. They looked like the better team. But Miami just stayed in it with it and they eventually started finding their shots, getting their stops, and they were able to take over. I mean, like Kyle Lowry off the bench looked as good as he's looked in a Miami Heat jersey. That was 18 points, five five uh, five boards, six assists, four blocks. I mean, this is a Kyle Lowry we haven't seen a lot in a long old time yeah. and, and it was much needed for really this needed team. It. He came up yeah. clutch. And 
without anyone doing anything amazing, they just kept plugging away. Obviously, the Knicks went ice cold from three. I mean, among their starters, they were five of 27 from deep. And there was a stretch, I think, where they must have missed like 10 in a row or something like that. It was it was a key key point of the game. And it's just another sign that they 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 need to get Julius Randle back. He's he has more confidence in in taking it off the dribble and, and attacking the rim and getting into those moments. Not that other guys like Barrett and, and Brunson hadn't stepped up, but we need the the production on the offensive end from Julius Randle going forward in this series. You, you saw that in uh, when they when they had those struggles from deep in uh, in game one. Yeah, now we know that. Well, we know that we don't know right now if Randle's going to play. Given the news right now that uh that Butler's not playing tonight, do you give Randall another night of rest? If you're Tibbs, I know what your answer is, but you <laughs> Tibbs is throwing him out there in a boot. But I'm throwing it. I'm throwing him out there too. To be honest, did they have to win this game? Guarantee a win. They have to win yeah. this game. They do. Yeah, I, I, they lose this game. Series is over. Yeah, I I think this is a long series. For Miami, more so Miami than the Knicks, because you know you just think about the absolute heater they're on. I mean, they they've miraculously turned from one of the worst shooting teams in the league to the best by far offense, the best three point shooting team in the league right now. I I mean, how sustainable is that? I, I don't I don't think it's sustainable. They, they did that against a. Uh, a Bucks defense that you know at some point we'll we'll talk about that, but I I think that the Knicks would just have to play the long game here. I, I hope they don't play him because I think they can win with Jimmy Butler not on the floor. I mean that they're not going to have any way of winning this game. The, the Heat are punting this game right now. Mm. The Heat are punting this game. Let 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 RJ let Brunson take care of it. We'll we'll see what they do tonight, but I, I hope they do the smart thing, give Randall some more rest because they're going to need him when Jimmy Butler's back. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that that that's fair. It's just like it's easy, it's easy to think it like that and, and say that, but at the same time, you're like, what if we don't have Randall out there and then we end up we end up blowing this game? But yeah, it's probably it's probably accurate. I think the way I was looking at it coming into the series, I genuinely did think that the Knicks are a better team than the Miami Heat at this moment, but the Heat have the the superstar. They have Jimmy Buckets there. If he gets if he stays as hot as he was in that. That series against the Bucks, the Knicks weren't gonna weren't gonna be able to have uh, have the answer, especially if Randall was missing a couple of games or wasn't a hundred percent healthy when he came back. So I mean, that's why they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't be too fearful after losing that game one. I think they should be confident going back in here in game two, just solidifying the the home court. Obviously, they didn't get the win in game one, but the best way to do bounce back, come in, play a solid game, do what they've done all year, do what got them to. Uh, Got them into the playoffs, and they will win this game tonight with no Jimmy Butler on the floor. How do you feel about Mitchell Robinson's impact? In 34 minutes, 7 points, 14 rebounds, 2 blocks. Um, we saw him really be dominant, surprisingly dominant, in the Cleveland series. Um, but this is a series where he definitely needs to be owning the paint. He needs to make make the right rotations to make Jimmy Butler uncomfortable. And he needs to make sure that Bam isn't going to take over inside either. And Bam hasn't showed up yet, but I don't think I've ever said Bam is due. But I feel like Robinson, going into the series, Robinson had a major advantage in terms of his size. The Heat don't really have anyone that big and on the boards. Do you feel like he's going to continue to do so this series? Yeah, I mean he has to. I mean he's uh, he's I argue in the form of his career at this moment. He there is no one who's at his size, so he has to be the the lead rebounder. He has to be at like he has to be pushing like AD levels of of, uh, of blocks and that. He has to be the dominant guy in the paint. He can do it in this series. It's not like he's going up against a a Jokic or a Giannis or something like that. He he can absolutely do it. You'd maybe want to see him get a. A few more looks at some lobs and and a few more putback buckets of his own. But outside of that, if you're just talking defense and rebounding, I I, I re, I'm loving the impact that he's had so far, and I think he can continue to do that and take it up even another notch in in this series. Yeah, 
I, I, the Knicks, Knicks are going to play better than they did. That, that was mm-hmm. a that was a the garbage game. I mean, the Knicks are going to play better than they did, and the Heat have been playing better than they've played all season. I I just don't I don't believe in the shooting. I don't believe that that's they just had a miraculous turnaround. Um, and every time I say that, they prove me wrong. So that's probably doesn't bode well for you either. But this is a this will be a good series. We'll, we'll see how it how it continues. I think Heat Knicks win this game tonight. Hopefully they do it with a little bit of a more rest for Randall. And then I think it becomes a series in game five. I still think this is going to be going to seven. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think I think I'm confident the Knicks get get, get the W tonight. I think they can I think they can win, wrap this game up series up. I think they can win this series in six, especially especially if uh if Jimmy Butler is not at a hundred percent or misses uh, a couple of games, I think that's when the Knicks can really thrive. They have to be able to, uh, they have to be able to take advantage of of the situations. Obviously, it's disappointing as a NBA fan on the whole. Yeah, but as a Knicks fan, I'm thinking. <laughs> I see that little smile of hope. We gotta, we gotta be so grateful here, and we gotta take advantage of this moment. And I think the Knicks are, are in a great position to uh, to reach the Eastern Conference Finals, despite. Despite being one 0 down in this series, things are are looking more in their favor after uh, after game one, even though it was a loss. Yeah, and the East looks so much more winnable than it did, what three weeks ago, when the playoffs started. When it was like, okay, we'll see how well everyone else competes, and it'll be, you know, Bucks Celtics, Bucks. No matter what Giannis says, and I respect his point of view, I think that's such a, you know, poignant way of thinking about failure but yes the bucks failed they mm-hmm. absolutely failed he had a, the hottest uh playoff streak in recent memory and now boston i'm about to start talking about boston a little bit here as we close so game one of the 76ers and for first of all i, I don't think we had a chance to talk about their series with the hawks at all they just let go of the rope sometimes and the all of a sudden hawks steal a few games that should not have happened now you got more rest for Embiid. now you got um, more tape that they have to work with, and you just don't have as much rest. I mean, they should have closed that series out. And then you look at game one last night. Harden has the best game I've seen in a while from him, let alone the playoffs. And I personally thought that Boston played Boston played in a way that should make teams like the Knicks, teams like Miami, teams like the 76ers be like, you know, we can make it. I mean, I I think they all believe that because I mean these are professionals and these are guys that they're making the playoffs. They believe they can make it for sure. But I think in reality, and for for a fan, you look at that and you think, you know, this this team does not look like the unbeatable team that we saw throughout the regular season, the end of last season. And I think that's meaningful. Do, do you think this is just a fluke? Like, how, how do you feel about how they've been playing the past the past five games? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been really shocked by the way the Celtics have uh, have played. I, I was think I had them as firm favorites. I know I still I, I still have my doubts about the the books on, on the whole. Obviously, it had the big impact, whatever Gian, Giannis going down. But I I had the Celtics as the the firm favorites. I think they were the best team. But that series against Atlanta, the way they just they kind of slacked off a little bit. They the way they weren't doing all those good things that they were doing in the in the uh, in the regular season. And then in this series, to the, to hear that Embiid is going to miss game one and then play the way that they did to not be able to close this game out. They had some stretches where they got hot and they, they threatened to, to pull away, but they could never do it. And they've 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 had the, the 76ers number for the most part, even when Embiid's on the floor. And yet they couldn't get over the line on their home floor. It's it, It's worrying, despite the fact that I think... James Harden arguably put in a better performance than than Steph Curry did in Game Seven against the Kings. That that James Harden performance, I didn't know that was still there. We we questioned him, we questioned him last uh, last podcast. We questioned that we had concern about him and, and rightfully so. But he uh, he really stepped up in, in uh, Game One and showed something that uh, I think we both believed was no longer there. I mean, the forty five points, fifty seven percent in the field. Fifty percent from three with seven makes. I mean the the clutch three to win it. That was just vintage James Harden all over, and it was nice to see him with that little chip on his shoulder after the game when he was kind of like, yeah, people say I need to play this way, but it's not kind of impactful winning. And then people see me have twenty and ten assists, and that's not right. But I, I just went out and played my game. That was that was good to hear. I, I'm glad that 
James Harden still wants to be that competitor. He he still believes that he can be a winner with this 76ers team, and he's still capable of producing a performance like he did last night. Yeah, and I think this this performance, um, the hot take there, Harden's game being better than uh, Curry's fits, but both games are incredible. And I, I, I think I know what you mean. Like, Curry, like, this game seems so much more like Harden playing beyond expectations and Curry has felt like this is, you know, it's that Curry. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think Harden doing this, especially without Embiid there was more surprising. I'll, I'll, I'll say, I, I agree that it's more surprising, but I mean, this game definitely complicates Boston's game plan, I think, because what do you do now? Do you overreact to this performance and you get a little more aggressive in how you're defending the pick and roll? Maybe they should have been more aggressive to begin with um, because I mean, there was there was no there's no really pressure as Harden was turning the corner. I mean, he he got his points, you know, turning the corner on the the pick and roll, getting downhill, getting to his floater, getting to the rim, kicking it out, and I think there wasn't enough pressure. And the way that the you know the Celtics can make pressure, and the Celtics had the the weapons to make Harden's life hell. And that was our that was a whole outlook that I had in the beginning. It's like you know Harden's going to have a terrible series because. You can throw Derek White at him. So you can throw Malcolm Brogdon at him. At him. You can throw Marcus Smart. You can throw Jalen Brown. You can even throw Taylor. Like anybody you throw at him is is long, is physical, and is going to make a guy like him uncomfortable, especially if you start aggressively expanding pick and roll. But I thought it was interesting that there wasn't that adjustment that was made. I mean, Hart, I think I understood what they were doing. You know, they, they wanted to allow Harden to get to the middle of the floor because he had a terrible game. Uh, mid-range he's not shot well in the mid-range his floater game has not been what it was before so if you force force Harden to get to spots maybe he's not super comfortable with then maybe it's a tough game and then they even left him open going under some pick and rolls and not really aggressively getting over uh over screens and it, it just didn't feel like they were that concerned it was like okay we're gonna win this game okay Harden, go all right fine he's gonna shoot that fine and then I mean, you turn around and all of a sudden it's a close game and then you, you're one mistake away in that totally uncharacteristic pass from Brock. Like the last guy you'd expect to make that pass. Absolute last guy. I mean, you got it. Of, of all the people to make that mistake, I mean, Brogsden's the one where it's going to be like, okay, dude, like never seen you do that before. So just, it's okay. <laughs> Move on to the next one because that, that was super uncharacteristic. But say Embiid come back, comes back next game. This is where I think it gets interesting you're now going to have to think a lot harder about how aggressively you double Embiid when Harden's on the floor and where you put the pressure of your defense, where you're going to put your focus. And I think that that gives Philly a little bit more, they give them more uh, strategic options because going into it, you're like, all right, well, as long as we double Embiid and force Harden to beat us one-on-one, then fine. But Harden just proved he Harden just scored 45 points with that game plan. So you can do that again in in game two. So we'll we'll see. I, I think it's it's really throwing a monkey wrench in uh, the expectations of the series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I like that uh, the way Maxi went about his game and and the fact that he was fairly inefficient for the way he, the level he's been playing at, but still was able to put up the twenty six points. And if he's able to do that, especially when Embiid comes back, he'll be more efficient and still be around the twenty point mark. That's definitely something uh, also to consider for this uh, this Celtics team and and our big respect to uh to Reed he he dominated the boards he did a great job uh filling in for for Joel last night obviously Milton had a good game uh, off the bench as well but it's nothing outrageous like don't get me wrong I don't think Harden's gonna score forty five in every game but there's also there's a lot of sustainable aspects to the way Philly went into that game and and what they did in that game one and they've just so to see the doubt now into the Celtics minds, let's see how this Boston team reacts from here. It's going to be very, very interesting to see where the series goes and we'll see what the Celtics team is made of. Still believe that they, when they're playing at their best, they are the best team in the NBA at this time, but we haven't seen it yet in this playoffs. Really? They, they took their time taking down a very poor Hawks team They've now lost the first game of this series with the other team's star player out. 
it, it, it's going to take a big switch. It's going to take a big swing in, in the mentality and just the general form of this team. Let's see. Let's see if they championship ready or not. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to get in the minds of these players and really see how they, how they feel. I mean, maybe it's subconscious too. Like you don't know if that's, if it's actually at the, at the surface, how they get comfortable with their talent level. Like they know their team, they know they can turn it on. I mean, look at the last game of the regular season against the Bucks. That game felt, I thought that was a statement game. They mm-hmm. absolutely ran the Bucks off the floor. And with game one and two against the Hawks, there you go. They're going to sweep. And then things start to get rocky from there. And in the last five games, their defensive rating has been 122.8. That's the worst. 12th out of 16 defense rating in the playoffs. And that would make them one of the worst defenses in the league. Right? So they're just not playing good defense right now when it matters. And I think that's, you know, that's not, that's not a product of, of skill or things just falling apart. That's, I think, a product of lack of, of willpower right now. It, it doesn't feel like they're competing to the level that they should be. And, you know, if, if MB doesn't play, again, if they give him another game of rest, which I think it, that's more, it's, this, is all, this is all a game of chess. Like, you know, with Randall, do you rest Randall? And with Embiid, you did what you're supposed to do technically, right? Like you, do you really think you're going to win two games at home or at away? Do you give Embiid another night of rest? Because technically, I mean, you, there you go, you won. Maybe Harden drops 50 and then you win another game. But maybe it's more worth it to have Embiid get another couple of days of rest. Um, but yeah, that just absolutely dropped the ball. Absolutely terrible that Boston could not, you know, close out a team, especially with how hot they're shooting. They just could not get stops. And, you know, hats off to Harden. Harden had one of the best games of his uh, playoff career. And if the 76ers end up making him, I would think this, I would consider this a massive upset to me personally. I think a lot of, some people out there picking 76ers because of Embiid, but especially with Embiid being out in game one, this is, this would be a massive, massive upset if they piss away the series. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah, but I, I, I'm already scared. I'm, pe- I'm speaking too soon, but I think the Celtics team are wavering, and the Philadelphia 76ers are going to win this series in six games. I'm oh. putting it on the record. Let's go, Philly. Whoa! All right, should we should we tell should we tell Kyle? Which, by the way, shout out Kyle. It's at his wedding this weekend. The, the poor guy losing the losing the Bruins on his wedding weekend. It's not not fair. And then Celtics doing this down. So at least he has, at least he has something to, something to make him happy. He has one positive over the last few days. Yes. Yeah, congrats, yeah. congrats, congrats to Kyle, <laughs> a friend, or, and an friend of the show. Congrats, it, someone else got married too. Congrats to Kyle and Jordan. We, we're gonna shout out the bride as well, the wonderful bride. But um, <laughs> back back to the game, man. I, I all I gotta say by the end of it is that I I don't think that way. I, I think Celtics still win this. I think they still win this in seven. I don't think it's going to be a clean game, but it, it just is going to come down to mentality. I think they're going to get challenged. They're going to challenge. After that game, that's embarrassing, and I think they're going to come back in a major way. But uh, six, how so? What do, you, what do you feel about when MB comes back? What does that look like to you? When MB comes back, do you feel like Harden's still going to be consistently scoring like this? Yeah. If so, then I agree with you. Yeah, I think, I think he can. I think he can get. Uh, better looks, even though obviously he's always been a guy who's almost shot better off the dribble than he has when he's uh, when he's a catch and shoot guy. But if he's if he can continue to shoot at this high level from three, he gets some uh, some different looks playing with Embiid, and I think Maxi's going to get more efficient uh, as the series goes on. I think they can have the the impact. I think Embiid can have a big impact. Obviously, it's Joel Embiid, but I just think the the, the Celtics are just wavering that little bit. They 76ers had did what I don't think many expected them to do and gone and won that game one. Now they can afford to to let Embiid rest that extra game. They've done their job in the first two games. They they split the series. They've stolen the game, taken away that home advantage, and that's that's why I think that they they they're they're gonna feel the 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 weakness and, and hopefully go for the kill. If this Philly team is up to the challenge, it's there for them to go and take. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. That's that's true. I've, like I said, this is gonna be this is gonna be a little bit more difficult. 
in terms of a chess match. You're, you're not going to just comfortably pull out the original game plan, which was to just focus on Embiid, force someone else to score, allow allow Harden to you know, face your best defender. You're going to be comfortable one-on-one. But, yeah, dude, I mean, that. I'll, I'll end with just that, that crossover on Jalen Brown. That one, that that's vintage James Harden. That's vintage, and I I would not expect that. Uh, Jalen Brown's a very good one on one defender, and that and then I when you look back in this game, you think about how he's taken taken down Marcus Smart in the post, backing him down, taking fadeaway jumper. Like that's where I don't know where that's coming from. He does not. That is not his game. And then taking Horford one on one. I mean, they're very comfortable with Horford on the perimeter. Um, taking step back jumpers over Horford. That's this is just all if, if Harden's just been waiting to pull out this game, this has been what you've been, uh, you've been predicting this right for the past two years. So I guess eventually it was going to come true. Congrats. Yeah. I appreciate that. I thank, th- thanks to James Harden for finally, uh, finally showing up for me, but, uh, 50th predictions, the charm. <laughs> you got to hit one eventually, you know, you keep, keep talking, keep talking and eventually something, something will happen. You know, that's the way, where you got, where you got to believe it in the, in this business, especially, but, uh, on that note, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. My thanks to Chris for joining me. My thanks to all of you for listening. The semifinals are still wide open. We are going to be watching every game. So are you. And we will be here to discuss the finer points on Coast to Coast. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.